you look at the 2018 election, uh, 95% of blacks voted Democrat, which is like unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> 67% of Hispanics voted Democrat and 75% of Asians voted Democrat. In 2020, the black number really didn't move much. It moved maybe a little bit. The Hispanic number went from 67 to 60, and then uh, the Asian number went from 75 to 70. So there was a little bit of lost reliability in the 2020 election, but the voter turnout was so massive, it didn't really matter because the big problem that Democrats have is not the unreliability of people of color. And since, you know, 60% of white people are voting Republican, that's their real problem. And then the other part that they have as a problem is that Democrats are really awful at showing up and voting. The midterm elections are over, ballots are still being counted, and the dreaded red wave turned out to be a red ripple. Our friend Roy Casagranda joins Plutopia's Not Ready for Cable News players, John Lepkowski, Susie Sheeler, Screamish Joy, and Scoop Sweeney as we dissect Election 2022. Here we are, and the elections are, elections. are not over. Do they ever really end? <laughs> well, it's kind of like rolling along slowly. Roy. Do you think that the Democrats are going to ultimately win Congress? That's a great question. So um, right now, I've noticed a lot of news channels aren't calling Alaska, so I'm going to do it for them. Alaska's voting Republicans. So now we got that out of the way. So now we're down to Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. As it stands, the Democrats in the Senate, the Democrats have 48. Republicans have 49. So for the Republicans to win, they need two to make it 51. And for the Democrats to win, they need two to make it 50. So two of the three that are in the air need to go to one party or the other so they can take control. Uh, Nevada, at last I checked, was three, the Republican was three points ahead, but it were 75% of the votes counted. In Arizona, the Democrat was five points ahead, but it was 67% of the votes counted. So they're way too early to call either one. Um, like I wouldn't even bet up. Like I know it feels like, oh, the Democrat might win and stuff. In the case of Georgia, they have already decided they're gonna do the runoff, even though I don't think they're finished counting. Okay, uh, except I, I guess the assumption is that uh, Warnock can't get over the majority threshold. So if the Democrats pick up Arizona and the Republicans pick up Nevada, we won't know who owns the Senate until December 6. That's better than what we did two years ago, because two years ago they did it, I think it was January 6th, I think it was Insurrection Day when, when Georgia voted. And that was really annoying because it meant that the, the Congress had already was already seated because it seats on January 3rd. So it wasn't like until January 8th, if I remember correctly, it was like five days to figure out the Democrats had control of the Senate. So how, the do Senate you think, how do you think that's going to go? I think it's a coin, a coin toss. Uh, a coin cost. Yeah, it's a coin cost. And, uh, <laughs> and cost is, of course, the first syllable in Cossack. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet money on it unless you're like 50-50 happy to lose it. Um the polls going in that I was looking at said that the Democrats should keep the Senate. So this is closer, I think, than at least the polls I was looking at indicated. Um, so it's that's a little weird. But in the case of the House, uh, the polls I was looking at and what I've been telling my students is that the House will probably go, the Republicans will probably capture like seven to, to 11 of the seats. They needed five to win. So worst case scenario, they went with a two, two representative majority. Best case scenario, the Republican went with like a five. The Republicans were saying they were going to win with 50. <laughs> and I just didn't see any of that data. Yeah, and obviously that's uh, not happening. Um, so so well, going, you're mentioning polls. Do you believe, <laughs> do, you, do, do we have any reason to believe polls anymore? They, they kind of tend to be wrong a lot. So they definitely have not 
since 2016, they have not been as accurate as they used to be. So there was a lot of anger about 2016 because Hillary Clinton was projected to win. And the polls kept saying she's going to win by like 2.8%. She, she ended up winning by 2%. To me, that's pretty accurate. I really don't see the problem there. But by 2018 and 2020, there definitely was a problem with the polling. And we know why. Uh, in the beginning, a lot of Republicans just simply refused to answer the polls. And so because it's supposed to be random, you hope that the Democrats are refusing to answer as frequently as the Republicans. That wasn't happening. Um, also, we now know that there's a population of people who just lie to the polls. So, <laughs> so it's thrown the polls into doubt. Having said that, there's still some accurate data out there. And it looks like nationally, most of the polling I was looking at was pretty accurate. I read something that said that some of the really right-leaning polls that tend to, for whatever reason, skew to the right in the results that they have, they kind of inherently predicted that Donald Trump would win because they tend to lean that way. They tend to predict the Republicans are going to win. So because they were right about that when so many others were wrong, they got a sort of aura of respectability based on the fact that they were right in a situation where others were, were not right. Uh, but but, but on the other hand, they were right for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it would be extremely hard to figure out how to conduct uh, an accurate, uh, realistically weighted poll to predict the outcome of a race, given how difficult it is to reach people, you know, uh, among other things. I mean, how do you actually get a good cross-section? When polling began, you could pick up a phone book and you could reliably assume that most of the numbers in there, if you dialed them, somebody would answer and some of them would answer your questions and you could kind of get a good cross-section that way. But now, no, you don't have phone books. And most of the cell phones now are, are um, I guess, unlisted, uh, though the numbers are leaking all over the place. Uh, but also, people can, as I do, set their phone to uh, screen out calls that are not from people that they recognize. So... How do pollsters find the right connections to people to be able to come up with a sample that is truly representative of any group? I mean, I think one of the problems that we've had with polls in, in recent decades, actually, was that the pollsters weren't doing their due diligence. So if you're going to do a sample set and you if you do a thousand <laughs> people so you got a thousand people who respond it used to be 50 percent of people would just hang up on you so that meant you had to call two thousand people to get a thousand respondents that gives you a five percent error margin well in a close race five percent it might be useless right if, if it's if there's two percent between the two candidates then you don't want a five percent error margin if you do 1500 you'd get a 2% error margin. And if you do 2000 people, you get a 1% error margin. And I'm gonna say something crazy that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter how many people you're polling as long as the number is large enough. So in other words, if I'm polling a million people, it's still 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. If I'm pulling 333 million people, it's the same numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, what was happening was pollsters were trying to just get out the data and it was expensive to call 2000 people. So they'd call a thousand people and hope 600 answered, and then they would post their data. So that's one of the nice things about Real Clear Politics and 538 is they would take those polls and they would rate them, and then they would weight them on their accuracy, and then they would clump them together and try and get an answer. So if you're looking at just one poll, you need to know you don't really know anything. But if you look at them in the aggregate over time, there might be some information in there, even with the problem of cell phones and people um, refusing to answer. One of the things we might have to do in the red states is just build in the understanding that, you know, 
if the polls say Beto's going to lose by eight points, we know he's going to lose by 11 points, right? Mm-hmm. And just sort of overestimate the, the Republican vote. Yeah, in the past, uh, pollsters have uh, assumed that uh, people of color would be reliably de- democratic. And, uh, of course, that didn't really uh, you know, prove true in some cases this time around. It, well, was that ever really a reliable assumption that people of color got a good demo? I mean, I think the answer is yes. So if you look at, uh, but but with a little bit of a caveat. So the if you look at the 2018 election, uh, 95% of blacks voted Democrat, which is like unbelievable. Um <clears throat> 67% of Hispanics voted Democrat and 75% of Asians voted Democrat. In 2020, the black number really didn't move much. It moved maybe a little bit. The Hispanic number went from 67 to 60. And then uh, the Asian number went from 75 to 70. So there was a little bit of lost reliability in the 2020 election. But the voter turnout was so massive, it didn't really matter because the big problem that Democrats have is not the unreliability of people of color. That since you know 60% of white people are voting Republican, that's their real problem. And then the other part that they have as a problem is that Democrats are really awful at showing up and voting. There's no reason that the Democrats should have lost this midterm. The reason Thank they you. lost the midterm is, I don't know, they have broken hands and broken feet and can't make it to the voting booth. Yeah, and it's not the first time yeah. that's happened, though. Because no, okay. it's every midterm action. I'm like, doesn't it happen every time? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like every other election the Democrats blow. Yeah, it they stay like home. If, if it's not the important one, I'm not going to do it. It's just like <laughs> it's like they can't understand how things are connected. You know, like the reason that we have inflation is that well, we've got this Ukraine thing going on. We're kind of nervous about the whole you know, UK not and the, not having any oil or gas <laughs> during the winter. And so that's going to affect us on some level, you well, know, and monetarily. To your, to your point, and, Susie, we need to shift the narrative for the Democrats thinking that the big one is important and start recognizing yeah. that the local elections are where we can make the most impact and start Absolutely. like moving it forward from that level up and we just we don't show up for our local politicians that are that are really mm. busting their mm. ass i mean honestly like they're really you out know, there, you know it seems like and- it seems to me like we um did do that like just like as soon as uh what's his dick one everybody came out we had the we had the women's march. We had yeah. the Muslim gathering. We had everything. And it was just like, okay, the fatigue is going to set in at some point. And not only did fatigue set in, but it was almost like we've created our own backlash of apathy. And it, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm so depressed about it. So oh, one, of the, one of the things that was really shocking to me in 2017 is how quickly the protest movement stopped. I, I feel like by March... Mm-hmm. They were done. So it was like, yeah. wait, you so you protested November, December, January, February, March. You protested five months and you were done. I guess this isn't a repeat of the 60s. Not uh, at all. <laughs> and so I, that was disappointing. But then in 2018, we had record-breaking midterm election voter turnout. And then in 2020, again, right? And we broke the records for the last 120 years. And I think a lot of people were hoping that 2022 would would, this was a new trend that we were going to see more engagement, and it and it's kind of baffling that the Democrats, the Democratic voters, just didn't feel like they needed to show up. For the record, the Republican voters didn't show up either. It's and and so as a result, there wasn't a red wave, there wasn't a blue wave, there wasn't a wave at all. There was nothing. It was it was like an, a regular midterm election, like twenty fourteen or twenty ten, where you know thirty percent of the only- population shows up. Only it's much more consequential. Right, because our democracy ends in two years. Sure. Tell you who did show up was big money and big oil and gas money, especially in Texas. Especially in Harris County. Yes. 
But, uh, yeah, and unfortunately, the big money generally is Republican. And, uh, yeah, there, there, there's some big money from uh, Democratic supporters. But uh, in Texas, oil and gas companies tend to funnel their money into a lot of campaigns. And you know that, that that's a Republican campaign, not a Democratic one. Well, so the, the Harris County thing that happened this year was mind-blowing because so county judge right lena hidalgo is there county judge is in harris county is usually like a three hundred thousand dollar race and uh lena hidalgo had 2.3 million dollars and the republicans poured nine million dollars they we spent 11.3 million (laughs) dollars on a race that's normally 0.3 million dollars and it is like where did all this money come from and why is it here and the answer is harris county is one quarter of texas's population if you're the county judge you can rig the next election and they desperately wanted to be able to do that the county judge isn't just a judge right it's sort of like uh, the mayor of the county it, it is the mayor of the county that's exactly what i tell my students it's it's the person in charge mm-hmm. so this was huge and and then she won but she won by uh two percentage points which was shockingly narrow when you consider better one in Harris County by nine percentage points. So if you were wondering, did the extra $7 million that the Republicans spend matter? It did clearly because it shaved seven percentage points off of her victory. And it really mattered to the local TV and radio stations and newspapers who got a lot of that money in advertising. And then endorsed the Republican. So how did she manage to win? What? What was that, Susie? I was just going to say, I was very concerned about why, uh, about Uvalde not voting for Beto. And for, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why Abbott overwhelmingly took Uvalde voters. What in God's name is happening? It's because uh, Abbott heroically rode into Uvalde with a shield in one arm and a sword in the other. And uh, attacked uh, the gunman that was murdering all those poor school children and took him down. It could have been worse. And he said it could have been worse. So I I just, I mean, I, 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 it is, it is beyond, it is, it's just beyond me how that happened. Well, how the people in that town voted against him. Yeah, watching those some of the news footage uh, of the various public meetings. A lot of the faces in charge were all white faces. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. tells you a lot about the power structure. I mean, it always depends on who actually voted. Yeah. I, yeah, I, but I, it yeah. is strange that that Uvalde did go red. But you know, it's substantially all Texas went red. It just it went substantially red. Right. Or at least, you know, sixty percent for Abbott. I mean, right. it, it, uh, to me, that was it was surprising. I think, especially and you know, because. Betha was there every day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, well, and Abbott, I mean, in the beginning of Uvalde, when, you know, Abbott comes out with his narrative and then the next day he shows up going, hey, I just said what they told me. I mean, don't blame me. I mean, he was the epitome of lack of leadership from the moment that he started dealing with that. And yeah, I but just, is that what people saw? to me how the narrative is that what people what saw, saw? Did they see the that was what the I guy saw riding was on, in on his uh... No, I never saw him as a hero and by any stretch. I saw him as someone whose own employees are too terrified to tell him the truth. That's yeah, what I literally. saw. Well, that's what and you saw. But I'm talking, take yeah, what did they see? Who Uvaldi? Yeah. Well, they I were mean, mad at Abbott. They were, they were like, he hasn't come to see us. He hasn't come to any of the funerals. Yeah, he, he has. They infuriated, very in, vocal in and public about it, and that's why it's such a shock because they were coming out saying this is unbelievable that this man hasn't even come out to speak to any of us. Screamish, well, so you, you were trying to say something. Screamish, I'm sorry. Joy. Oh, no, I just I I just I agree. I think he infuriated people in a lot of ways. And he he really 
truly didn't show leadership at any level of the process. I mean, he kept, he kept sidestepping, he kept blaming, you know, other people for giving him the wrong information. He, he just acted, he acted like a victim and that was in press conferences. That was on mainstream news. It was very, very easy to see him not perform. I just don't get how people, I, I just, I just don't get it. I mean, you know, from my perspective, um, saying something like it could have been worse to an audience who just lost, mm. you know, 20, 20 something children and, and adults. And it's like, why would those words ever even come out of your mouth? Well, this gets um, to the point that, and in really deeply red areas and much of rural Texas is deeply red and Uvalde is, I don't, I don't know if you call it exactly rural, but yeah. you know, it's a little town. It's pretty rural. Yeah. It's pretty. Small. And, and, People who are like deeply red would somebody could break into their house and murder all their, their family children. and then run as a Republican and they would still vote for them because they ran mm -hmm. as a Republican because it the the idea of voting for a Democrat is just they can't even imagine it. They're going to vote for well, a Republican because he's that, a Republican. That's literally what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, having grown I mean, up in a deeply red uh, West Texas family, I watched mm -hmm. how that happened. And my parents were very Republican. My dad gave lots of money to Republicans. And I would bring up being the, you know, the, <laughs> the evil child. I would talk about the things mm -hmm. that they were doing wrong. And, no, that didn't happen. And it's there's this uh, denial is you know definitely not a, a river in Egypt. It was uh, a state of mind of the Texas mm. Republicans has been for a long time. You have a hard time convincing people that the thing that their hero just did was evil. I mean, yeah. even though it is obviously evil. So it's cult behavior. Cognitive it is. Thank you for saying that. It is. I was just saying it's so incongruent. You know, the the cognitive cognitive dissonance is almost unbelievable. Um, and we when you watch it play out the way that did, and just that one particular situation, but we've you know watched our leadership fail us here in multitudes of ways. Um, and we just have this three headed monster that we can't seem to break their spell. Over. They may be evil, but they're not communists. Yeah. Boy. Well, you know, look we, at Dan, I don't know that we know who or what they are. Yeah, look at Dan that, Paxton. Um, now there's it, a there's a real uh guy to look up to or down on. Uh I mean how many felony indictments does he have now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, and they when is he gonna he, go to trial? And what he, happened to speedy trials? And he cruised to the election. I like refer to he, him by his frat boy name K Pax. I refuse yeah. to give him the dignity of a full name. Yeah. Um and no, was, yeah, K Pax, he's slick. Slick yeah, he's Teflon Dan. Uh, <laughs> I mean it just rolls right off of him. And the fact Fine. that he beat Rochelle Garza by 10 percentage points, I, I kind of exactly. feel like tells you everything you need to know about Texas. Yeah. No, yeah. Like here's exactly a guy with multiple felony indictments. He's the number one law enforcement agent in the state. We already elected him once with felony indictments and then re-elected him again. And for staff. some reason, he doesn't go to trial. What is that? His entire staff tried to take him out. I mean, like they literally tried to pull a coup on him and like couldn't get away with it. It's he's his he wife in the Senate tried to make it legal all the things that he did that were illegal, make them legal so that she could get him off the hook. Yes. I'm kind of embarrassed because um I have been saying to my friends outside Texas for a while that Texas is turning purple. But so it yeah. is. It's just turning purple way slower than you wanted it to, and way yeah. slower than Beto thought it was going to turn. I think it's turning yeah. purple because it's, people are being strangled. That's what's happened. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, with that. We're more purple in honor of Texas turning purple, but <laughs> you're right. It's not happening fast enough. Do, um, do we think that Beto was really a good candidate? I mean, he I was, think he was a great candidate. It's just, Texas wasn't ready for him. Okay, and so like we weren't purple. Yeah. And and do you remember who we ran last year? 
our last one? <laughs> the answer I mean, is I do, but that's because I'm paid to I, know. I think nobody exactly, else. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think, he was. The I only do one. think that Beta was. He was a he was a substantially better candidate than than yeah our last candidate, but then Lupe, um, yes. but he's he's you know he's progressive and and I think you're right he's like he's he's a little bit ahead of of I mean he's he's where a lot of us want to be but he's a little bit ahead of where Texas is ready to be. So I can give you a, a way to think of how Texas is purpling. So the state is gerrymandered, and for the record, for the people that haven't figured this out yet, gerrymandering is the equivalent of ballot stuffing. The way you're cheating is you're just drawing the line so that the outcome is determined. How's that different than just going and changing the numbers? So Texas has, has been gerrymandered pretty much its whole, its whole history, but since the Republicans uh, managed to do it in 2002, it's been consistently over gerrymandered in favor of the Republicans. Well, going in from the last census, we had six competitive districts. So there were, you know, the majority of the districts were Republican, but there were six that were competitive. This new census has made it so there's only one competitive district because the Republicans gave the Democrats five of the competitive districts. The reason they did that was to pack Democrats into them so that the so that the districts they already had wouldn't become competitive. And so, in other words, the Republicans are in Texas in defense mode, trying to hold on to what they have. They're not gaining. So by the next census, if the rate whites are disappearing from Texas, and as long as the, the, the Republican Party doesn't figure out how to flip Hispanics, the, by the next census, then it, they, they may not be able to gerrymander the state in such a way that they'll be able to control the, you know, the, the legislature and the number of representatives going to Washington. Sounds like they so, created a, uh, some democratic ghettos with their gerrymandering. I'm happy about it. I'm now in one of those. I, Lloyd Doggett is now my mm -hmm. representative. I just to bring that up. That yeah. Me too. <laughs> I live right down the street. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. That, that remember to vote card you found on your house the other day. My you know, was you. It there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Lloyd Doggett is an amazing man. I love him. So, so another much. way to think of it for me personally is when I moved to this house seven years ago, I had a Republican representative for the U.S. I had a Texas Republican senator. I had a Texas Republican representative. As of January, I'll have three Democrats. Nice. And I nice. <laughs> Thanks for bringing like that all the way down to the ground because i think that again i go back to like that local movement is so important and critical and we need to get people more excited about it we need to get people like more connected to the fact that you know their local representatives are they're accessible they're a part of their community they are right there and um yeah i think it's cool that you can look at it from that perspective and be like yeah my representation has actually changed like, I mean, this neighborhood that Roy and I live in is really a purple neighborhood. I mean, you drive around and to the extent that you see signs, a lot of people don't put anything up, but you see that there are a lot of Democrats here and there are a lot of Republicans here. Well, I'm not seeing the Republican signs in this neighborhood. <laughs> oh, well, you should come over to my cul-de-sac. Okay, I'm going to have to go over to your cul-de-sac because everything <laughs> else well, is out, just blue. Out here in Bastrop County, you'll, you will see, they're already putting out Trump in 2024 signs. I just saw oh, yeah, down the street. I will say that I have noticed a, a slightly reduced amount of gunfire, and I just want to like call that out as a celebratory positive. Okay, like <laughs> that's another thing to that's another thing. We were all thinking that there was going to be real violence and voter intimidation in a big way in this election, and it didn't happen. Do well, you think we a lot told. of that was uh, was was squashed by the fact that they did the January sixth? Uh, investigation and made it a big deal. And uh, I, I, I'm guessing there are some of these people that might have gone crazy during the election said, well, I don't want to be one of those people that gets called up to, for a grand jury because it was well, speaking of that. So what 
what happens if we lose the House and the Senate? Do we? What happens to that committee? It, it goes away. It, it yeah. Gone. <laughs> Actually, if we lose the House, the committee goes away. Yeah. yeah the House. Yeah. The House. Oh. So is, it's going away then. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not done yet. I think there's probably like a 15 percent chance the Democrats keep the House. We we're not going to know for days because we need the votes to roll in. Yeah. But but on that note, I want to point something out, which is the following midterm elections since 1902. Every time we have a midterm election, the president's party gets pretty badly beaten in the House. The average probably is that the president's party will lose 25 or so House seats. For Democrats, it's always higher because Democrats think that you only vote once every four years instead of <laughs> a yes. little bit more than that, which is probably closer to like six to eight times every four years, just for yeah. the record, because there's those primaries and then there's those weird games. What are those for? And then there might be runoff elections, like... If like, you're one every like years, you're like one eighth what you ought to be doing. Um, so what happens, like I'll give you some numbers. In in uh 1994, Bill Clinton's uh Democrats lost 54 seats in the House. Oh. And then in 2010, if memory serves me, Obama lost 63 seats. And Obama said it was a massacre. And he is right, it was. Biden's looking at losing maybe seven seats, nine seats. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, and he may keep the Senate. And it's entirely possible that the Democrats will even gain a seat in the Senate. So what's crazy is this is not a traditional election. The president's party did not get punished. And so in that regard, I think Democrats need to refocus and realize, oh, wait, we just we just missed a bullet here. This was definitely not as bad as it usually is. Well, and he was criticized for making it about democracy, but that worked. And that's exactly what he really needed to do. And it was exactly yeah. about democracy. We had yeah. all these election deniers. Yeah. And then there's 2024. And, you know, like we're doing we're going to do a really big party at my house for 2024 because it's going to be our last election. Yeah. Uh, do you think the uh, improvement for Biden could be somewhat related to the fact that we uh, have a, a growing social media influence on politics that didn't exist in some of the the previous elections or one as widespread as previous elections and i've just seen that you know people are finally getting access to information that they never really you know experienced before you know it's if you go out into west texas all that you get is, you know, right-wing media on the uh, AM radio because in, in, the internet is still, you know, kind of spotty or very spotty out there. But in the metro <coughs> areas, yeah, everybody has uh, access to social media. Do you think that had an impact? I, I actually think social media has destroyed the United States' chance of surviving another 10 years. Um, I think what people do is they just they they are friends with the same minded people. They don't hear what the other person says. And it's just about a bunch of shouting. Twitter is like where people go to become six year olds uh, and say really ugly things, you, things you would never say to a person's face. You know, what I because mean? <laughs> yes. they because they punch and, you and break your nose. And, and now and I, it's ridiculous. This Mr. Free Speech guy is like taking down and kicking out all these people who are making fun of him. <laughs> yeah. And and I and I'm hoping he loses his $44 billion by destroying oh, That's <laughs> but what I'm I think hoping. he will because he's I an mean, idiot. <laughs> two twits with one stone. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm sorry, Scoop. I, I just trashed your idea completely. Oh, I feel like what we've done in social media for the last 10 years is we've just created these little echo chambers and we jump into them and we don't listen to the other side and then we throw cognitive dissonance into the mix and everything just is scary oh yeah i, I yeah. agree with the uh, you know it's a real shitstorm on <laughs> most social media but yeah. there's still a, a way of getting out good information to people that didn't have access to it before so that has some effect, you know, but you, you just have, you know, smart people can generally filter out the, you know, the bad stuff. 
I guess I'm looking for the smart people. <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go beyond texas borders i'm afraid i mean just the fact that we have a governor that killed 750 people because he's incompetent and couldn't make the electrical grid work mm -hmm. in the largest energy producing state in the largest energy producing nation on earth oh god like it's humiliating we Texas is competing with Saudi Arabia for the amount of energy it produces. And we couldn't keep the lights on and keep people from freezing to death. The Uvalde thing, he took it right the abortion stuff, like all the stuff stacked on it. He, he beat Beto by 11 percentage points. Like, what is that? I don't <laughs> know. I, I five to eight percent. It's unfortunate, though. And it's like it, it's hard to not be. I mean, it's. I don't know, to feed the divisiveness, I, I don't like to think that they're not smart people. I think that we, we underestimate just how incredibly manipulative, like, you know, neuro-linguistic programming and mass media really is. And smart people can get pretty easily caught up. And, you know, to your point, like social media in and of itself, ultimately, it is just a tool just like the television and the telephone and any other communication device we've ever had. It's just a matter of utilizing that tool. And it's, it has just as much power to do good things as it does to do really, really bad things. You know, I feel like a lot of times complacency kills us almost more than anything um, where, you know, like to the point of just not showing up at the polls, there's no reason why we shouldn't have, you know, with, just i'm sorry there's no reason we shouldn't have 80 percent plus voter turnout there's just is simply no reason that we shouldn't there's you know, like no real I, reason you know you're you're opening uh, the door you're, you're opening the door to a conversation about twitter i think well which has been i mean, I mean I, it's just been a really big deal in the last couple of weeks so absolutely it's it, i mean twitter in and of itself and whatever elon decides to ultimately do with it again it's just a tool and a platform and to give it that much power that we've given it it's we're we're being shown something about the impermanence of these tools that we're so freaking dependent on and we, you know, to, it's not just the trust factor, you know, now we can pay for our blue check, right? Well, who's yeah. going to know $8. like who paid for their blue check? You know, it's like that, that is already gone. And so, but it was really never there to begin with. Like it's your perception that that trust factor was there to begin with. But so, how, you know, to, 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 oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would just say how influential is Twitter really? I mean, I, I keep thinking, I think the main reason, the main way that uh, uh, Twitter is influential is in the fact that there are a lot of journalists on Twitter mm -hmm. who kind of work there in a way. But, you know, if they leave, what's left? I mean, it, it, Twitter, Twitter is not what's creating that influence. It's the participants in Twitter. And Correct. if everybody <laughs> migrates over to Mastodon, which okay. is a much saner environment. For uh, now. Huh? For now, until for now. Now. Yeah. everybody moves over. <laughs> but the structurally, exactly. the way that it's structured and the way that it was built and the ethics of the of the guy who created it and, and the ethics that he sort of imposed on the system are such that I think it would be really, really hard for, I mean, it's not, it's not even a, capitalist project right it's a it's a distributed it's a, a it's a federated project it's distributed um and it's set up to discourage the the kind of exploitive things that you see on twitter and that makes me think that i mean mastodon may not it may not be the ultimate place where people go there's a lot of people moving there right now but it is possible to build systems that are not you know sort of like deeply capitalist manipulative systems that exist mainly to exploit the users and that's what Rochko has done with with mastodon 
That's what Tom Jennings, our friend Tom Jennings, did that years ago with FidoNet, which was also a federated system. And Mastodon is part of a bigger thing, which is like the independent web, IndieWeb, and the, what they're calling the Fediverse. The whole idea of having federation. So instead of having centralized systems, you're decentralized. You federate the systems so that they can work together and interact but they're also independent systems and it's hard to like, it's hard to build a power base in a, in a, a structure like that. That's what I think. One of the things though, that I think we need to remember about like our devices <laughs> is when we had TV in the seventies and there was three TV stations, well four, cause we did PBS and that was, that was amazing. Cause now we have this really tall yellow bird um the that the republicans got rid of uh and now he's on hbo but anyway so I, I still can't wrap my mind around this why did you hate big bird anyway uh so you represented too much sunshine and joy okay, exactly <laughs> you were limited in what you could do because you you turned the knob and it went as you changed the channel and you watch what was on, that was your option. There wasn't another option. Whereas now we're constantly taking our devices and we're, we're flipping <laughs> through them and we're getting dopamine hits every time we do the device. Mm -hmm. And so there's right. this reinforcement feedback loop. Like I find myself nervously just opening the device. I don't even know why I opened it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I might as well look for something to look at. Yeah, it's yeah. you know we're gonna have to learn as a humanity how to be a true community again, and that has been our challenge in this new you know cyberspace that we exist in, and we've lost our community outside of it. And it's interesting when I and I've had plenty of experiences recently, even with pretty diverse groups of people coming together for reasons non-political not realizing that they hate each other. I always find that really interesting when, you know, they, they, if in another scenario, these would all be people that would be like, you know, hateful or, or judging or whatever they were fearful or what, you know, whatever that energy is, that's coming out. But in these situations, they're coming together, you know, over these, you know, whatever unifying elements that are again, more community driven, not necessarily political and, and they're and they'll make these discoveries like oh you you believe that or you think that and it's just interesting to see people trying to relearn how to meet each other where they're at again you know instead of because we we have to take a step back if we come at everybody as the other and we're ready to fight well if you come ready to fight you're fighting and there are some things we need to be fighting about that we again seem to fall into complacency on but we also need to figure out how to find our humanity with each other again. Like that's critical or really we just don't have, honestly. Any I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I also have reached the point in, um, where I don't see any humanity in any of those people who were at the insurrection, any of those people who are so hateful and scream epithets at people. I have no, I have no, I don't, I have no I don't know that I'm speaking about those specific people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's a specific, that's taking it, that's a specific, it's true. I think I'm talking, I think there's a, a wide swath of people that have been like divided in a hard line, but they really live more, you know, they, they're, they're just not living as far to the edge as everybody is forcing them in. And, and I think the more, yet, I, I just, if you I know, look at I know. I mean, We're you really look at divided. Georgia, and it seems to me like it's pretty. It's every. It's not just fringe, you know. Like I mean, people I, are I, I, normal I, people I, voted for Yeah, these are Walker. anecdotal experiences, but I think when people actually do try to come together, um, it's better. I just do. I just think that you know. People, you know, we, we we are watching like major things happen. Like me, and this is something that's always a wonderment to me as we watch natural disasters take out entire communities and completely destroy them. You know, we just had Florida get hit, double hit by their second hurricane. And I mean, they're devastated. And I'm sorry. 
No, it's because God yeah. hates Florida. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's, he, we, we can blame God, but it's at the end of the wrong. day, <laughs> at the end of the day, the politics of those people, they don't matter. They don't matter when all of their homes are gone. You know, it becomes a very, and, and at that community level, it becomes a very different experience. But not, not at that. Florida just went red as red could be. So like that's what did. I was about to say. That I, we've been talking about how there wasn't really a red wave this time, but there, there was, was and it was in Florida. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. I, I and I mentioned Florida in particular because it comes back to who, our complacency: who's showing up at the polls, who's doing what, where. But on the ground in those communities, at the moment of crisis, those people are not asking each other what their politics are. And I know this from personal experience. And so, yeah, it's like, this is, it, and, and we just have to recognize that those commonalities, we're going to be facing them more and more. And, and I don't know, again, I, I think it's a mix of things. I don't think it's just so easy to say that they're just so divided and they're not, that, that we have completely lost our humanity. You know, I just, I, that, okay, so, and this isn't a, a natural disaster, but I will say that when I was living in North Carolina, um, and, uh, you know, Bernie was a thing and, and this woman got, uh, her car broke down and she was on the side of the road and it was snowing and, uh, she called a tow truck and the guy came and he hooked her up and then he noticed that she had a, that she had a Bernie sticker in the back. He unhooked her and left her there on the side of the road. So yeah. I feel like I, that I, I know that there are assholes still, and scrotes out yeah, there that are doing shitty things. Has. Yeah, but, I'm just saying that I, I think I hear what you're saying that when people come to, but they're I'm. It's just like saying reach across the aisle. You know, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not coming together with these people anymore. It's. It's. I can't. I can't. I'll come together with the median. You know, but these some of these people are just too far out, and they're still voting for people like Herschel Walker. And they're telling me they're normal, and I don't believe it. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I, I see some hope like in Florida's uh, red wave in the fact that we have someone in their Republican Party coming out against Trump. So I, I, I see a split possibly happening. I, I would certainly love to see that to where you've got dueling crazy people you know, fighting for the uh, – <laughs> that is going to be the so crown. fun. Yes. They are fighting for the crown. They, they really, oh really, I, I don't disagree with that. But you know, that, that's always good for sorry. the other party because you know, when, when you get that third party or third or third candidate in there to split the voters, you know, <laughs> that's sometimes a good thing. Yeah. Before we move away from Florida, I just want to throw some fun stats out. Oh, please do. Yeah. So um, DeSantis won four years ago with 1%. Oh, it, was a, wow. it was a close election. He just won with 20% in this election. The, the Democratic Party spent $50 million in Florida four years ago. It spent $1.5 million in Florida this time. So the Democratic Party went into the race knowing that Charlie Crist had no chance. They spent no money on him or anybody else. Which means they just they just accepted that Florida was permanently red and it was no longer a swing state and they walked away. Don't you think that's what we did in Texas when Lupe ran? Well, so for sure. I mean, but you know, Hillary Clinton did that to us too in 2016. She didn't spend any money. At one point, she was in August of 2016, she was actually ahead in Texas in the polls. And I kept thinking, why aren't you trying to see if you could do something here? Spend some money here. And, you know, she just was like, I'm, I've got my blue wall. There's no way Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania will ever vote against me. I'm yeah. going to just campaign in the swing states and see if I can flip them. And it was the worst strategy ever because she wasn't looking at state-by-state -state polling. She was just looking at the national polling going, I've got, well, I'm going to win by three percentage points. It was, well, it speaking was just, of Pennsylvania, Fetterman just trounced Oz. Well, not trounced, but still won. Yeah, it was a solid victory. Solid victory. Uh, it's, it's good because it looks like the Republicans are going to pick up Nevada, so it'll cancel. Yeah, I hope that prevents uh, more 
TV and media superstars from getting into politics just because they're famous on TV. It's like, <laughs> that has not been a good thing for anybody. No. no. And a quack. I, I don't think we're done with that trend yet, unfortunately. I, I think we're going to see a few more personality cult members come Man, if Herschel Walker can do it. <laughs> okay, so can I just say, I can't wait for Jesse the Body Venture to come back. Oh, oh man, that's going to be so awesome. <laughs> and I Thanks. feel like we should blame Reagan for all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ventura was what, Minnesota? Was Minnesota. It was Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, it was Minnesota. We could, was, it, was Frank in Minnesota also? Who? Al Franken. Franken no, oh. he's... Uh, Where was... No, I uh, thought he was Minnesota. Was he? You, I thought oh, he was yeah, Minnesota, he too. Minnesota. You're right, you're right, he is. Yeah, that's like... But Franken was Just, like... Franken was more of a comedy writer than he was anything else. I mean, he kind of did some stuff on SNL, but yeah, he was a, but he was he, celebrity-esque. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was celebrity-esque. <laughs> but again, I think it's a Reagan thing. It definitely is a Reagan thing that started it. But, oh, yeah. Okay, so let's do a blue wave because there was Michigan. And yes. Gretchen Whitmer won by Ten and a half percentage points. So that was a I nice solid victory. So nobody kidnapped her. And nobody, nobody. kidnapped her. But <laughs> I think there's another victory in Michigan that's even more important. And it's this. Michigan has switched its district drawing over to a nonpartisan commission. Mm-hmm. And there are wow. multiple states that have done this now, including Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to talk about Arizona for a sec, too, before we run out of time. But in the case of Michigan... The amazing thing about this is the Democrats got the same percentage point that they did four years ago, but they have now double the seats. That's the role that gerrymandering plays. The Republicans had so gerrymandered the Michigan Democrats that they were literally getting half the representation they were earning. I wish somebody would come and do that here and then expose it, would, it. Texas would be really purple at that point. And the reason I can, I can say that with so much confidence is that's what happened in Arizona. So it, <laughs> the, the, Texas doesn't have the ability for us voters to put something on the ballot, right? Only the state legislature can. Um, Arizona, Michigan, these other places that have democracies, um, <laughs> they they actually can do that. Their citizens have the right to create laws and put them on the ballot. So in the case of Arizona, they put on the ballot that they were going to switch district drawing to a nonpartisan commission. It passed. So the state legislature sued. It's the best Supreme Court decision name ever. It's Arizona state legislature versus the state of Arizona. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and the Supreme Court ruled that the state of Arizona had the constitutional right to do this. So it oh, has, I love this. It, it's a done deal. Oh, I'm God. just wondering if Texas has the track record for number of lawsuits and federal injunctions against their gerrymandering practices. If it isn't Texas, it's North Carolina, and their flag mm-hmm. is just flipped upside down. Yeah. Not, right. Yeah. So it's clearly some kind of flag design thing. It's a it's a it's a weird. <laughs> I mean, like when I lived there, I was like, my God, they really do want to be like Texas. They're just as racist and horrible and awful as Texas is. Or is and it that I, we want to be like North Carolina? No. <laughs> Texas only wants to be like Texas. Yeah. That's just the truth of Texas. <laughs> so since the nonpartisan commission in Arizona, that red state has elected one Democratic senator, it might be two, we'll see what the results are, and voted for Joe Biden, but statewide seats can't be gerrymandered. Yeah. In other words, bringing it back to what Screamish Joy said earlier, bringing it back to the local, once you took gerrymandering off the table in Arizona, people who were upset about the fact they couldn't affect down-ballot political positions began voting and they affected the up-ballot stuff that isn't (laughs) affected by gerrymandering. That's the power of gerrymandering. It actually dissuades people from voting. 
Well, you were oh, talking, you were talking I, about flags. Uh, there was this flag that uh, back in, when uh, Pinochet the was. Hell uh, is that? That's the that's flag of Chile. Oh, and Chile, back yeah, when okay. Pinochet was uh, the big guy in Chile, they had a, an event. I forget where it happened, where they were supposed to raise the flag of Chile, and they put up the Texas flag because. Ah! <laughs> I have an even more embarrassing story. I think maybe it is the same level of embarrassing. The <laughs> Texas government textbook that I was using for a while, the first edition had the Chilean flag on the front. The publisher <laughs> put the wrong flag on the Texas government. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> But it was just the first edition. They figured it out by the second. Oh, good. Well, they stopped putting <laughs> flags on the cover just to be safe. Just to be safe. You know, just they, they stopped putting the word Texas on the cover. They didn't want to like confuse it. It's just the ambiguity. Oh my God, that's just fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> I just noticed we're getting close to the end. And I just noticed that Debbie Russell has been posting uh, a number of things in our chat. Oh, uh, whatever she lot. has to co contribute, it'll be amazing. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in yeah. here. The Supreme Court's order followed a request by Texas Attorney Attorney General Ken Paxton to reverse the lower court. So that was earlier on, and that happened in some other states. While voter turnout was down from 2018 across Texas, it seems Travis County failed the most with a 10 plus percent drop. I believe it. Yes. And that's crazy because like in 2000, <laughs> Travis County was accounted for like 90% of Texas's votes. Mm -hmm. that, that was an exaggeration, but I mean, we really, we were really yeah. overrepresented. So what happened to us? Yeah, a lot well, of people. Were, I uh, couldn't figure it out. We yeah. couldn't even fucking pick a mayor. All right. Okay. That's an amazing <laughs> story. How did Celia Israel beat kirk watson by five percent i'm uh, telling you man people are tired of the old way yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i it's even told my mom i, I told my it. mom I like, and yeah. my aunt i was like hey mom you y'all you, have to come and vote on the runoff and she said who is it and i said well it's this woman celia israel and she's running against kirk watson she said i'll vote against kirk watson 50 times in a row if I could. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to come out and vote for a Democrat just to get Watson, just to kiss Watson, make him kiss her ass. I think it's funny. And your mom, as I recall, is not, not known for voting for Democrats. No, she is not. She just wants to vote against her. No, See, this is an opportunity. This is exactly my point, though. It's, an, it's, it's, it's not reaching across the aisle. It's just making sure that there's a threshold for, for them to step over. You know, it's like not putting up a wall is the way I try to look at it. It's like, no, I don't have to go over there or change my values, but I'm certainly going to allow space for, you know, like I me, mean, so she'll vote for a Democrat. And that'll be exciting and it won't kill her. And she'll have to live with the fact that it didn't kill her. <laughs> well, I In our chat, Debbie posted hashtag Team Celia. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Celia. Yeah. Yes. I certainly hope that the that voters so come amazing. back for, for away. I hope the voters come back for 2024, though, because you know who's threatening to be around then. And uh, we definitely have to have a lot of people to vote against. He who shall not be named. Yeah. So I okay. think this election actually suggests that 2024 is going to be like that. Even though voter turnout was low, the fact that there wasn't the midterm punishment mm. that we that we normally get, uh, it's mind blowing. No, mm. it yeah, it absolutely is. It's. Um... But Florida and Ohio are no longer swing states. We just need to recognize that they're red. That's over. Stop talking That's about it. Done deal. Done deal. Done deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just <clears throat> trying to be grateful for the little victories, and I'm really hoping that um, is Bobert. Has it been called? It hasn't been called, has it? No. No, there's still okay. votes to count, and there may. I think there's enough votes that. Well, I don't really know. I don't know. Would there be a runoff there? I uh, I don't think they need a majority like like we do in Austin or uh, okay. Georgia does. 
I suppose in the minute we have left, I could look it up. I'm trying to get there there's... and I'm failing miserably. <laughs> uh, just... Let's see. Okay, no, it's not called yet. She's at 50.2% uh, with 98% reporting. So there's two percentage points of voters left to try and shave off 0.2% of her vote. Mm. If possible. Yeah, it's, the key is where are those two percent? Let's hope they're in a metropolitan area. Yeah, who knows? Uh, her, her, she's District Three. I don't remember where District Three is in Colorado. Why? And you know, why don't I remember where it is in Colorado? Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it keeps changing the map. The Katie uh, Porter race in California is also not decided. All right, there. District 3 is the entire west and south. So it's okay. uh, it's not, it, there's no urban center. Pueblo in Colorado is the only urban center in it, so. Mm. Oh, Here we God. are, right. time to go again. There this we go. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks, folks. everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Great seeing you guys. Yeah, See you next time. Good seeing y'all. Thanks for having me. Bye, y'all. You can follow the Plutopia News Network at Plutopia.io. On Facebook, go to at Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. This is the Plutopia News Network, 20 minutes into the future.